What a powerful song that we've just sung. Or maybe you've just sat there and listened to. Um, because those aren't light words. Um, wanting to be a vessel. That's really at the heart, I suppose, of what we've been looking at um, since January in terms of the Beatitudes, Jesus' sermon um, on that mount uh, by the Sea of Galilee. Asking this question, how can they come alive within us? Not just as kind of nice verses we might put on the fridge um, or on a bumper sticker, um, but actually part of who we are, shaping us, leading us, guiding us. One of you could picture with me the scene. Um, It's Jerusalem. It's the temple courts. And as is to be expected, there is a gathering. People are coming together together. People are being drawn by this commotion that is going on, um, this crowd forming. Again, uh, nothing out of the ordinary really, it's what's to be expected in this arena. Except the reason people are coming together in this particular moment is that preacher, that teacher, that, that religious leader, the one they call Jesus. You're aware he's been stirring up something of a storm. He's been creating ripples that are going to run and run. And once again, people have come to hear his words, to hear the wisdom that he freely shares to all who will hear it. Yeah, hold on. Into the fray comes this woman. And she's not... She's not arriving by her own choice, by any stretch of the imagination or under her own doing. No, she's being brought under duress by others. She's being brought and set before the gathered crowd. She was caught in a moment, or so they say, an adulteress, a criminal in her accuser's eyes. And as they make a stand before the group, there is this hushed silence when moments previous there was, there was talking, there was a hubbub, everything has just ebbed away and there's just this calm as people wait, every eye boring into a very soul. Moses, they say, commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They asked Jesus. Sounds like a trap to me. Jesus, though, he simply stops and bends down and starts to to write something on the ground with his finger. They don't let up, though. Their questions continue, their onslaught uh, of barbed comments until he straightens up. He says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he goes back to writing on the ground. And it starts to happen. Slowly, one by one, beginning with the the older ones, but one by one, her accusers leave until none of them remain. Jesus stands again. Where are they? He asks her. Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she says. Then neither do I condemn you. Go 
leave your life of sin. In 1975, a 12-year-old boy testified and his evidence led to a guy called Ricky Johnson, Jackson rather, sorry, wrongly being convicted of murder. Some 39 years later, this boy, now a man, went to court and retracted his testimony. He said he lied because he thought he was doing the right thing and was helping. And so on the 21st of November 2014, Ricky Jackson was free. After 39 years behind bars, initially on death row. As I shared earlier, as I've thought about 39 years, I've not even reached that goal, that milestone, we'll call it what you will yet. Um, I've got another year or so to go. Um, but just imagine that amount of time. Maybe you can just do the mental math. Think where you were 39, 40 years ago, and everything since, just wipe it out. Because that is his reality. And you can go and watch on YouTube. There's the the footage of kind of the acquittal hearing as he's brought in um, and the judge uh, passes down the verdict that he is free. And you can see uh, as he walks out of the courtroom and heads to the exit of the courthouse, the reporters are all there asking questions, uh, wanting to get uh, their piece for the six o'clock news or whatever it is. Um, and it's, it's an amazingly powerful bit of footage, however much it would have just been on um, a news channel um, soon after. And he's asked loads of questions as he's walking through uh, the corridors. Um, one asks him, what, you know, what's your first meal going to be uh, once you get out? And his response is, as long as it's not prison food, I don't really mind. Uh, and they ask him other questions about kind of who he's going to see and that sort of thing. And then they ask him about the man who got him convicted. And they ask him what his thoughts are on the man who 39 years ago caused his incarceration. And he said, I forgive him. He said it took a lot of courage for him to come forward and to do what he did. And he recognised that that guy has had to carry that for 39 years. So though he's not been um, in in jail behind bars, he's had to carry uh, that burden. And then he says this, he says, A lot of people would want me to hate that person and carry animosity towards them, but I don't. As far as that young man is concerned, I wish him the best. I don't hate him. I just wish he has a good life. I can't imagine what... Ricky Jackson went through. Um, I'd like to think I would respond in a similar way, but um, hopefully I'll never know. But I just want to go, wow. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. In the account from John 8, uh, Jesus and the woman caught in adultery, um, as it's often titled, um, which I think as a title raises some questions for us. Um, the act of adultery takes two people. Um, but that's not what I want to talk about this morning. The, the, the moment that we see in John 8 is a moment where mercy 
is seen and experienced firsthand. It's not just some show. It's not some kind of performance. It's not some kind of simply abstract teaching exercise that Jesus was going through. You know, if you ever come up across this kind of situation, this is how you deal with it. No, in that moment, the love and the mercy of God was displayed for all to see. And it was outworked through the very actions of Jesus. It's interesting, the fifth beatitude. Um, I love the fact that the, the Hebrew word for mercy um, apparently comes uh, from the word uh, womb. So it's the idea, actually, that mercy comes from the womb of God. It's not some optional extra in any way, shape, or form. It's part of who he is um, and part of how he acts. And in some respects, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Sits at a, a midway point, if you will, as we work through what Jesus is saying on that hillside. Um, for the, the quick amongst you, that's not numerically um, in the middle, but... Some of the writers who, who reflect on this, Leon Morris says, the first four Beatitudes express in one way or another our dependence on God. The next three, the outworking of that dependence. And so there's this kind of shift taking place. Stuart Garrett says, I wonder if this announcement of mercy right in the middle here is actually the punchline, key to all that life is about. So I said before, blessed is... Again, not just a word that means kind of happy or fortunate um, in this context. It's not just kind of advice for living that Jesus is offering, take it or leave it. If this is your thing, great. If it's not, um, take some notes because that makes you look like you're interested in what the speaker is saying. Um, but you can then just forget that page um, and do something else with it or whatever. No, it's about every disciple responding to these words. Taking responsibility. What does this mean for me? There's the danger, obviously, when we think about being merciful. As one commentator put it, he said, uh, the worldly wise will, of course, say woe to the merciful, uh, for they should be taken advantage of. And there is maybe that, a bit of truth in that, that actually if we go out of our way to help other people, um, if we seek to go, really, what is, does it mean to be merciful? And how am I going to let that drive who I am? There will be people who will want to take us for a ride. But as I said earlier, nowhere... Having read the, the teachings of Jesus, does he say, kind of check your brains at the door, or his equivalent? Um, we have common sense. We're meant to use it. It's also not about asking how far can we go. You know, give me a detailed definition here of what it means to be merciful. So I know when I get to that point that I've kind of given all the mercy that I need to, I can stop. And I can just kind of go, oh, actually, I don't need to worry anymore um, because I've gone uh, to the level that I need to. As well as being re reminded uh, of John 8 preparing for this morning, I was reminded of Matthew 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant. Um, verse 21 um, says, at that point, Peter got up the nerve to ask, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurt me? Seven, question mark. I wonder whether it's almost kind of like, well, I can, I can count up to seven. That's pretty good, you know. Um, I don't want to have to kind of make sure I've got kind of open-toed sandals um, to go beyond ten. Um, surely that's kind of pretty good, you know. If people have said kind of three or four, that's, you know, I, I've gone beyond five. Um, this must be kind of what is expected of it. And also, I don't want to be taken advantage of. 
kind of just hearing what I just said, you know. So don't want to go too far along this line. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or as one translation puts it, try 70 times seven. In a nutshell, Jesus is saying, stop counting. That's not, a, that's not how this works, and that's not the, the mindset you need to have here. It's not about how far should we go. The message of Jesus, you know, Luke 6 and other passages remind us, is one of love your enemies. Love your enemies. Not just those that you like, um, who are the same as you, you get on with, you've, you know, known for years and that sort of thing. No, love your enemies. And I believe that's something that, that Ricky Jackson uh, embodied in that moment um, and in the moment since uh, where he got, actually, I forgive that guy. I'm sure we could probably give him a bit of grace. We'd say, actually, no, if you'd really wanted to hold a grudge there, that would have been okay with all that he put you through, the life that he has stolen from you. Four people go, yeah, you can actually just, you know, harbour a bit of a resentment and hatred to him. We'll let you off. But that's not the message of Jesus. Reflecting on it, though, I wonder whether sometimes those three words, love your enemies, are kind of a nice Christian phrase, but actually we don't really think through what does that mean for us? What does it actually mean for me? To take, you know, these beatitudes, these announcements and say, how are they coming alive in me day in, day out? For us as a church here, I believe it really picks up on one of our four values being welcome. Our four values, rest, welcome, generosity and courage. Asking that question, what does it mean to welcome all just as they are? Because it's possible to see the idea of, of welcoming as the thing that happens at the doorways when you come in. So kind of whether you came in, if you came in through that doorway, you came in through that doorway, you came through the doorway over there. Um, that's where the welcoming happens. Or we might think, well, no, it's not just on a Sunday. It's on a Monday and a Thursday as well because um, we have toddlers. Um, and so people come in. And that's maybe that's the manor house because kind of people just arrive uh, and that's where they're kind of welcomed and greeted. Um, or we might think, well, actually, it's, it's at the door of the youth room upstairs. Because the coffee morning happens on a Friday. And that's where they come. People, again, just meander in. That's where they're officially welcomed. Um, or maybe it's, it's Charles on a Friday night at 412 as he's on his desk by the door kind of taking the subs and that sort of thing. And is that where the welcome happens? And obviously that is where a welcome takes place. But it's much more than that. And again, we might kind of go, oh, yeah, I get that. But... Do we actually? Do I really take that and apply that to my life? Welcoming all just as they are. Being merciful, not just in the walls of this building, but actually wherever I find myself. I thought the idea that almost, you know, the thresholds of this building are just one playing field where we get to welcome people. I think part of the challenge for us as a church and for believers generally, but I think particularly here is, what does it mean to be the family of God? What does it mean to be a disciple irrelevant of our surroundings? So it doesn't matter where we find ourselves, but people would still see us and go, no, you are different, you're, you're di- distinct. There's something uh, that is, is, a, is a bit at odds with the rest of the world, and that's because of Jesus. And I was actually realising 
It doesn't matter where we're placed, but that we're to offer the mercy of God without prejudice, which is, again, an easy thing just to say and roll off the tongue, let's move on. But actually, that's challenging. Um, without bias, without thought of what we'll get back in return. Yeah, I'll help that person because, well, it might mean they'll come on a Sunday. Um, or if I help them, then I've got something in the bank so I can then go back to them and say, actually, you know, that time I helped you, uh, you know, or whatever. And I don't think... What Jesus is talking about here is, is simply a call to go off and look for those places where, you know, elsewhere in the world we might kind of see, you know, deprivation and social needs as extreme. That's what this is about. It's about looking uh, for those places where, you know, life expectancy is at its lowest uh, and hope is not even a dream. Um, it was long since kind of been forgotten. Um, maybe, and I don't say that, maybe God is actually saying that's the call that he's got on your life. But I wonder whether sometimes we can see the idea of being merciful as, well, it's those kind of situations that it really applies to. Those uh, environments where actually people are at the end of it and have nothing. But I believe it starts here and now. For you and me, if I'm seeking to follow Jesus, how is this announcement going to come alive in me today? Now, it's not just about being merciful. Read the, the verse, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It's important to, to clarify here that it'd be easy to read this verse and think kind of, so if I'm merciful to other people, then I will receive um, the mercy of God. So basically, I've got to do X, Y, and Z to kind of ensure um, that I get in uh, and I'm okay. And that's not what Jesus is talking about here at all. That leads us to the idea that salvation and that opportunity to know God is something that I can earn. Um, And I have no hope of doing that. Um, And I hate to break it to you, but none of you do either. Um, Because none of us can. It's by the grace and the love of God, his decision to give his son up for us, to pay the price for our sin that makes it possible for us to know him again. But yet, as I read this week, those who have received mercy will be the best placed to offer it to others. Those who have received mercy will be the best placed to offer it to others. Because time and time again, the gospel puts our, our attitudes ahead of our actions. Our actions are informed by our, our attitudes. And it's asking that question, what's going on inside of me? that no one else can see, um, that only God and I actually know? And how am I ensuring that I'm dealing with those things I need to deal with? I'm open to the things that God has ahead of me. At Easter in 2013, uh, Pope Francis said this, he said, God's mercy can make even the driest land become a garden, can restore life to dry bones. I love that, that image. Um, Peter referred to it earlier with kind of praying for the rain. Um, reminded me, unsurprisingly, of a film. Um, uh, I'm not necessarily going to recommend it, but um, Mad Max, um, which is, you know, if you've not watched it or you've heard about it, is basically it's this kind of, you know, apocalyptic, world's almost over, everything's dry and barren and that sort of thing. 
What reminded me, though, was I remember hearing about when they were coming to make the most recent one, and they'd got this location planned in Australia. Um, and it was one of these kind of dry and barren places that were going to be perfect for it. And the problem was um, they had a massive amount of rain about three months before they came to shoot. Um, so they, before they arrived to shoot, they suddenly realised that the whole place had come into life um, and was full of flowers and grass. Um, and it looked absolutely beautiful, which is not really the apocalyptic image they were kind of going for. Um, but I think it's something here, you know, it says that God's mercy can make even the driest land become a garden. And God wants to use us to make that a reality in our community, in the places we find ourselves. Go back to where we started. I do wonder what she did next. The woman from John 8. We read through that story and Jesus says, you know, go and leave your life of sin. And that's it. And as part of me, I wonder, you know, what did she do for the rest of the day? What steps did she take? What impact did that encounter have on the rest of her life? And in the same way, I think of Ricky Jackson, as he left that courthouse, as he breathed that air that was exactly like the air that he breathed when he went in, but would have been completely different. You know, I wonder what his first meal was (laughs) as a free man, um, who he spent the rest of the day with, but also, you know, what he's done for the last five years. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. I pray that wherever we find ourselves today, we may personally and together respond to God's exuberance, the generosity that he sets before us, that is beyond us, but that working through us can transform us and the world around us. Let's pray. As we pray, as I pray, there's going to be an opportunity in a minute as we continue in worship to respond. And you may want to go and have someone pray with you, um, particularly um, maybe something God has sparked within your thinking. I felt as I was preparing that particularly this morning, maybe there's that sense, actually, we need to ask for God's spirit to fill us afresh this morning. And maybe we, maybe we don't feel like a completely dry and barren land, but actually we know um, that it's only with God's help um, through his Holy Spirit that we're going to be able um, to, to be all that he longs for us to be. So Lord, as we've already sung this morning about longing to be your vessels, if that's our heart, Lord, I pray that you will respond to our request pray that you will pour your spirit down upon us, Lord. Whatever our history has been up to this moment, whatever journey we've been on, that you will help us to to stop and just to rest in your presence and receive from you. And I pray, Father, that you will continue to challenge us as to how we can be your people for this time for the purposes that you set ahead of us, that we may glorify you above all else. Amen.